Right, welcome along to another episode of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast. I'm your host, David Lovell. Delighted to say joining me this week is uh, someone who has never done a wrestling podcast before. Uh, coming from Oklahoma, Oklahoma City itself, Kevin, is that right? Yep, yep, Oklahoma City. Uh, Kevin Eli, Kevin, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing really well. Glad to finally uh, have you on. So you've you've done podcasts before, but never a wrestling one. Yeah, I work in media um, here in the states, so I've done you know different things with different people, but I've never gotten to talk about wrestling. Uh, so this is a, a nice treat, and I appreciate you having me. Well, that's a pleasure to have you on. So the first question, of course, is what is your earliest memory of wrestling? So do you remember when you would have, would have first sort of come across it? Yeah, actually, it's a very vivid memory. I was very small. I was probably maybe five or six years old. And uh, so this would have been in the mid-70s or so. And my earliest memory was flipping through the channels back when you had a clicker on the TV and coming across um, a man in a white mask with that was like covered in blood. And he was holding the mic and yelling into the TV. And I don't remember who did this to him, but he was talking about his name was Dr. X. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about uh, a person who had just hit him in the head with a chair so hard. that He was saying, I cannot take my mask off tonight because if I do, my brains will fall out of my skull. And six year old me was horrified. I was, you know, I completely flipped out. What is happening? My parents rushed over, changed the channel, and I and they were like, "You can never watch that." So of course, that's all I wanted to watch. Well, yeah, of course. For a long yeah, time. once your parents say you can't do something, right. you want to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I wanted to know who was who hit him. Was his brains really going to fall out? Is he okay? Is he still alive? Uh, but it instilled in this like reality to it. At the time, I thought that was completely real, and. So anytime I would come across wrestling when I was a little kid at that time, um, it was really scary to me because I because these people would be running at each other full speed and you know it had this like uh, barbaric sense to it that like boxing didn't you know um, and so it was really scary for me uh, for a long time until uh, a few years later when I was a little older like ten or eleven and stuff I kind of started to get smartened up on it. So who were some of the guys that? sort of captured your imagination as a kid the rest is it really stood out to you as a kid yeah so early early on i really remember buzz sawyer really sticking with me a lot because he had that kind of wildness you know right yeah uh those big furry boots and the way he would just fling himself at people and stuff and he was one of those people that was like man there's something about this guy uh you know that he just felt like it just made things kind of feel out of control as i got a little older and started to appreciated it wasn't until actually they did that i don't know if you recall in the states they did a expose in the 80s uh 2020 where they you know explained how it's all really you know put together and uh david schultz slapped the reporter in the ear Um, john john sossel yeah yeah, Yeah. john sossel uh that was when i it all clicked in my mind that i was like oh this is all storytelling and that's that's what really got me into it and after that is when i started to really respond to people like dynamite kid right yeah. Um, and really get into like some of the beauty of like what 
people could do. So like there was a dynamite kid tiger mask, you know, those early matches were the ones that our friend had on tape that we just watch over and over again. And that's what really hooked me were guys like that. The British Bulldogs were just the end all be all for me uh, when they were in their heyday. So what was the first live event that you attended? So yeah, growing up in Oklahoma, we were, um, you know, in the early mid eighties, WWF was the big time national thing uh, on our TV, but our local territory, we had Bill Watts Mid-South, and we also got TV from World Class. Um, so that was like what wrestling was to me, was, you know, there's this like far off sports thing that's kind of the major league, and then here's the thing that I think is just as good. Um, and so the first show I ever went to was my dad took me i started really getting into um it was the uwf by then but the mid-south in in 86 and uh the fantastics uh were feuding with eddie gilbert and sting the this is right around the time missy hyatt came in and eddie gilbert and sting were the tag champs and they had a match scheduled in my town at the myriad in oklahoma city which is i'd missed a lot of the historic matches there but I begged my dad because I was like, there was some step. I can't even remember what it was. Some stipulation where I was like, this, this has to be there. There's no way the fantastics are not winning the title. We have to be there when it happens. And so my dad took me. And then of course, Eddie Gilbert and Sting won because it wasn't (laughs) on TV. It was the house, you know? And when I got home, I was like, okay, when they come back, that's going to be the time they win the title. And we have to go again. So my ended up, my dad, what ended up taking me to Mid-South shows in the, or UWF shows in the Myriad for the better part. I mean, pretty much until UWF folded, which would have been about a year and a half later. Right. Um, we would go almost every two weeks uh, to go see the house shows in Oklahoma City. They would usually do a house show in Oklahoma City in the, in the afternoon, and they'd drive to Tulsa and do either a taping or a house show that night. So did you ever see the Fantastics win those titles? I don't think I ever saw them win the titles. No, I never did. I did get to see, um, I think the first title change I ever saw was uh, later that year. I think it was Hacksaw Duggan and Terry Taylor beat Bill Irwin and Bad Leroy Brown from Devastation Incorporated uh, for the titles. And I thought it was the most amazing thing that I got to see that. And then it was hilarious because then a week later on television, I saw them win the titles again on television and it was the same match, but it was in a different arena. So you would have, sorry, yeah. go on. Yo, you go ahead. So I was going to say, you obviously sort of became a, really became a big fan around sort of the mid, mid eighties, would you say around yeah, that sort of time? Totally. So yeah, from yeah. that point up until now, have you ever really kind of lost interest in wrestling and, and stopped watching for any period of time? You know, it's funny. That's, uh, that's one of the things I love about the title of your podcast and how I got the wrestling bug. Like, I feel like once you become a fan, you never stop. Right. Even if you don't like it. And, um, there were, I would say there were times that I came and went and got it, you know, went into college and just got busy and didn't keep as much touch of things. Um, there was never a point that I didn't follow it in some way, but, um, in in the aftermath, so Chris Benoit was my absolute favorite wrestler, and when that tragedy happened, it you know it was devastating, 
and it was really difficult to even watch any kind of wrestling match, um, you know, without thinking of the implications of like, is the, you know, am I even right to watch this? Is this ruining people's lives? Are these people, am I, are these people all, you know, killing themselves for my entertainment and all that, you know? And so there's a lot of like, where it just really was like too morally weighty <laughs> for me to right. enjoy. No, I understand. Uh, Cause that's but, really right. That's really, a, yeah. that was a, a point where I stopped watching was when, when that happened. Yeah, Cause you, yeah. Did you stop completely or did you? I did stop completely. Sort of yeah. I mean, I mean, to be honest, it was more, I kind of, I kind of had stopped anyway after the Eddie Guerrero yeah. tragedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Me too. A little bit. But then that was really like the the catalyst that that made me stop altogether was when when that happened. But right. where do you where do you stand with with Benoit now? I mean, are are you able to watch yeah. any of his old matches back at all? Uh, sometimes I I don't really seek him out. Uh, sometimes something will come up and I'll get reminded of it and watch it and um. It's not as bad as it used to be. There was a time where I was like, I just don't feel right about it. Um, but there are other times where I'm like, you know, I think the person he ended up being was not the person he always was. There was definitely some sort of combination of, you know, factors that led to becoming oh, something absolutely. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I can go back and say, oh, I'm never going to watch, you know, the, you know, the New Japan tournaments, you know, from 94 because he was a horrible person or, you know, it's not, I don't feel that way. Um, it is kind of hard to watch the later stuff because you can really start to see that he just wasn't right. He wasn't all together there, you know, or, or you just see the hardship, especially after Eddie died. Um, it's, it's just kind of brings back bad memories. So that, that era I don't, but I have gone and watched like the WrestleMania, you know, that's probably the end. The last thing I could probably, that's kind of how I want to remember him is, you know, 2004 in the ring with Eddie Guerrero yeah, with but, both belts, you know, that's pretty much was the peak. And then it's kind of like, man, if I you could just freeze it there, you know. Um, but yeah, it's funny because even then during that time, I still subscribed to the Observer. You know, I I still would right. read about the yeah. business because I I really consider myself almost a fan of the business as much as I am a fan of the actual shows. You know, and that's you know how we met in the group, the fight game group is you know. That's that's a, a group where people enjoy talking about the business as much as they enjoy talking about the shows and the entertainment and stuff. So that's really, you know, kind of two levels of fandom there. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, like you say, the podcast is called "How I Caught the Wrestling Bug," and 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 yeah. once you have called it, you never really lose it. But yeah, I, I think even when you stop watching, uh, if you ever stop watching, you you still sort of keep track of what's going on, you know, for yeah. the observer, you know, free podcasts or what have you. So yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, as far as, you know, what you watch now, what, what are your sort of viewing habits now? Do you, what do you watch from a week to week basis? Um, AEW is appointment viewing for me. I try to always, I try to watch it live actually. And a lot of it's because they're discussion groups to where it's fun to get to interact with people as it's happening. Um, but that's the show that's really capturing my imagination now. And part of it is actually not even the show itself, but just the idea of this promotion trying to establish itself and find its voice and find its audience. Um, I'm just fascinated by that process. So even when the show's bad, I really enjoy it, um, which is not often bad. But uh, so that's that's that has really ignited, you know, a new fun in in watching wrestling i really don't 
WWE, I don't think you can ever not keep track of. Um, I I tend to watch NXT every week, but if I miss it, I'm not going to sweat it too much. I pretty much will watch all the big shows. I haven't watched anything other than Royal Rumble or WrestleMania from WWE in a while. Um, I usually sort of wait and uh, see if there's something I missed, then I'll go back and watch it, but I don't really seek out too much. And I love New Japan. Um I it's been hard this last year because it's been pretty boring, honestly. <laughs> uh, a lot, but New Japan's like I, I consider New Japan like a steak dinner, you know. Um, it's a pretty substantial meal, and it's not something you want to eat every night. But like, you know, it's almost like it spoils you on everything. So right, that's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I'm like I typically kind of like you know we'll watch the main events or things like that, but I don't. I don't pay attention to a lot of attention on the undercard or whatever, unless something really seeks out and stuff. But then G1 is the highlight of the year for me. I, I go nuts for the G1 and do brackets and, um, you know, sit there and obsess over how are we going to get to the final and things like that. That to me is like the pinnacle of wrestling storytelling. So what would WWE, what would uh, WWE be uh, if you have to use a, a sort of food analogy? <laughs> I'm trying to think something something really bland that you wouldn't want to eat very often. No, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean it's better than it's not, it, it wouldn't be fair to them to say it's like McDonald's or something, but it's it's definitely uh, you know it's it's definitely where you're getting the same thing every time. So it's maybe a high end fast food right uh, place, you know, and then like NXT would be like you know. I don't know what special sandwich they have, you know, on the side where you're like, oh, I'm going to get that one. That one's a lot better than the rest. But, yeah, it's kind of comfort food. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, now, the, the second half of the podcast, uh, the second sort of half que- questions, uh, I, when I devised the podcast, I called them rapid fire because I thought, you know, we, yeah, we run through these very quickly, but they're not rapid fire at all, really. Um, favorite... <laughs> Favorite wrestler of all time? Uh, who would you uh, choose for that? Short answer: Ricky Steamboat. He's uh, just always been the man to me. I'm glad someone uh, mentioned that. I, I don't think anyone's ever mentioned Ricky Steamboat before. I mean, we mentioned Ricky oh, yeah. Steamboat before on the podcast when we talk about Ric Flair, but for right. someone to actually choose him as their favorite, I'm, I'm glad someone has done that because, yeah, I mean, he could do it all, couldn't he? Really, he could do everything. I mean, there. Well, there were some things he couldn't do. I think he'd be a horrible heel. Oh, I think yeah. I think uh, you know he wasn't the greatest promo, but right. the thing about him was that he was so great at being Ricky Steamboat. You know, like he he was just the ultimate good guy, and um, you know, like we talked about when I got into WWF like around '86 and really started paying attention to things. You know, Dynamite Kid and the British Bulldogs, but then Ricky Steamboat, I was like, this guy is my champ. He's got to be the champ. And then he would never get there. And, you know, WrestleMania three was just an amazing moment for me as a young fan. And then when he came back to the NWA in 89, I was in heaven. You know, I thought, oh, my gosh, finally, we're going to get to see this guy's going to get his due. And they really gave him a good run. I know I didn't know it at the time that in hindsight, it really wasn't all that great for business. But um you know, that series that he had in 89, 89 is like the, to me, the, the peak of wrestling to me, as far as American wrestling goes, the NWA in 89 was just unreal. Uh, the, you know, Ricky steam to have like two Ricky steamboat and flair and then flair and funk in the same year. 
yeah and have like two of the greatest feuds of all time to me you know that reached their pinnacles at that point it's just amazing but i mean bret hart um benoit you know historically even though it's kind of tainted a little bit and um and, you know brian danielson there's a there's a trend here you know technical <laughs> te- technical right, hard-hitting technical baby faces yeah. is kind of my catnip so speaking but, of brian danielson i mean how excited are you about him coming into AEW? you know it's funny i am but the all the cm punk talk has like almost distracted it from has, it to it? where yeah, it really has yeah it's like i haven't even really been thinking about it that much so and i'm kind of happy about that because uh i, I would tend to overthink it It'd be like, you know, like they could bring him out on Wednesday and we'd all be like, oh, my gosh, we forgot about him. You know, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I'm really excited about it. I really hope it ends up with him being um, a little bit of a Moxley where he gets to dabble around wherever he wants. Um, Yeah, I think that's probably why he's gone there. Right. I think I think that was a big part of of why was the opportunity to go and work in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or go down, you know, maybe he can be the next AAA mega champion, you know, maybe. it's like, yeah, um, you know, I, I really hope I'm really looking forward to see that because he's one of those people. There's something about him that, um, you know, people root for the person, not just the character. And, um, you know, Brian Danielson is uh, somebody that's like, man, I, I really want. Daniel, I really want Brian. I'm so used to saying Daniel Bryan. I really want Brian Danielson to be fulfilled as a person. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you're watching him, you're like, I don't just want him to win the title because he's my favorite wrestler. I want him to win the title so that he knows he could be world champion. You know, and I want him to be in G1 because I know he wants that. You know, and I and so you feel this personal connection to him. Actually, I'm a creative director on the media team that I work on, um, and I actually do a talk to my team about creativity that uses Dusty Rhodes and Brian Danielson as examples of um, how the greatest creativity is sometimes what is the most true to who you really are. Um, Because Danielson more than Dusty, but both of them are that classic thing of the best gimmick is you turned up to 11. And, you know, Brian Danielson's highest quality is the fact that he's a really authentic, real dude. And so his character is an authentic real dude turned up to 11, you know. And I think, so, yeah. like, like you say, CM Punk, as we, as we, as we record this, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, right. it's expected that CM Punk will be yes. there on Friday night. <laughs> maybe, maybe tomorrow night as well, but definitely Friday night for Rampage. But we haven't yeah. heard anything in regards to when Brian Danielson might right. turn up. So, yeah, we, whenever he does show up, it's going to be a surprise, which I, which I like because... I like that too. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm really looking forward. I, I suppose out of the two of them, you are more excited about what they're going to do with with, with Danielson and Punk. I think so, just because um, I think I think short term Punk could be more exciting, but um, I, th- you know, I don't know. In my mind, I I was a big fan of Punk when he was at his peak at WWE. Um, I thought he was great. He's never been like the world beater when it comes to like match quality, but he's, he can definitely hang in there. And so I think with Brian, I'm just more excited about the match potential with, with punk and more excited about maybe the storyline potential. Um, and so with Danielson, it's just like, I just, you know, I, there's just five things I'm excited about Brian Danielson. There's probably one or two I'm excited about CM Punk. But I'm excited about them both. I'm really excited about what it means for the business and what it means for that show. I mean, it's the next 
eight months um, is going to be unreal when it comes to what's going to happen in the business. It's going to be really exciting. And imagine, though, what happens if Friday happens and he doesn't show up. <laughs> but maybe we'll get Daniel Bryan instead. Yeah, maybe. Or, or Brian Danielson. <laughs> I, I, I can't yeah. get used to saying Brian, Brian Danielson either. But um, yeah. And what about Adam Cole? Does Adam Cole turn up in AEW? That would be amazing, too. He could be uh, Britt's uh, bodyguard. No, she's already got one of those. <laughs> no, I think he'd be great, too. But I do worry about things getting too cluttered. Of right. The too many, that's... too many of those types of people. It's just going to diminish some of them by necessity, and I don't really want that. Well, we've already kind of seen. I mean, not because of Punk and, and Brian coming in, but because of the fact that apparently he's gonna. His wife is expecting a baby, but Hang, Hangman Page obviously no longer yeah. involved in the main event of All Out. I, right. I hate to see with all these guys coming in that we don't get to see Hangman and MJF and, and Darby yep. Allen and Sammy and, and, all, and Jungle Boy and, and all these guys that they were sort of grooming to be top guys. I hope right. that still happens and they're not sort of pushed to the side, which I don't, I don't think they will be yeah. because I think you don't want to make yeah. the same mistakes TNA made. Right, exactly. And I, and I have faith that they're not going to and. I'm slightly nervous that they may have done that a little bit with Paige. I know there's a story behind it, and we don't know what it is, but um, I'm I'm worried that he might not be as hot as he was when he comes back. But at the same time, they laid the groundwork. He could come in even hotter, and especially yeah, if they don't want to. You don't want to miss. Yeah, miss the moment, do you? You want to you, yeah. you want to strike while the iron's hot, and and right. I think they may have missed. I don't think they missed the boat, but. Yeah. Doing it at the next pay per view, which is in what November? Full gear is it? I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say. Um, I, I think that would be too. Whatever, it's too late. But right. I, I wouldn't want to. Yeah, if they're going to do it, it needs to be then. Yeah, I uh, think so, and fast. Like it, it. They need to not bring Paige back and do like let's rebuild him or let's you know have his way work with his way up the top five, like. He needs to come in hot, and I think he can. I was really worried that night when they had him lost because the way they built up that 10-man tag was so amazing, and the moment of the entrance, you just thought, wow, this is going to be one of those nights that you just remember you know, uh, on a TV show highlight, and then he lost, and you were just like, oh, that's it? you know. Um, so I, you know, at this point, it's kind of like, wow, it's, it's pretty ballsy to do what they're doing. Uh, I know that there's circumstances that lead them to do it, but you know it's a risk. But if they if it pays off, you're going to be like, wow, he, they really know what they're doing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we're going off on a tangent here, but that's what we do on sure. this podcast. Um, yeah, it's fine. but with with Christian getting the yeah. shot instead, I mean, how, how do you feel about that? Are you are you more invested in Christian now after the match had on Rampage than you were before? I am partially because. I really didn't want him in AEW. I really didn't have. I was. I really wasn't interested in seeing more Christian when he came back. I was like, I like him, but I. It was kind of a thing like we just talked about, where I was like, if you're gonna bring him in, he needs to be a big. He needs to be near the top to make it worth it. But I didn't want to see him pushing down guys like Jungle Boy or you know, not not politicking, but you know, just just moving people down the slot, the pecking order. But I have to say, like he's been coming through, and and I was pretty into that match on Friday. You know, I yeah. I, I I wouldn't have made the title change, but I no. but I see what they did, 
um, I get the logic of it. So as a, as a person who's into the storytelling and thinking of what, you know, what could you have done? What did you do? What's the implications and all that stuff? Like, is it just a armchair booker uh, who's never had to be responsible for booking a show ever? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was like, man, I, th- I think to me, it's all about keeping him strong for page, but I, I, did it work on me? Yes. Cause I was pretty into Christian. I thought he did a great job and I was, I'm more into him now that I've been into him for a long time. Did you see the match with, um, that Kenny had with Andrade on Saturday night? I haven't watched it yet. Um, I read about it. heard it was good. I just haven't gotten around to watching it. I have it like as an I open tab Christ- on my browser. It was good, but I thought the Christian match was, was better to be honest. Yeah. With you. I, I thought that it, it was much better, but anyway, um, the next question favorite yeah. match of all time so ricky steamboat's your favorite wrestler yeah if i was to guess i'd say maybe one of the flare matches would be what you would go with but yeah <laughs> probably the two or th- the two or three falls match in the middle oh the, uh, that that the they did on a flash that yeah, yeah that's right yeah that's probably my favorite so, as well yeah and so number one i love a sucker for two out of three falls um but also at that time as a fan that was very much where i was like nwa i'm an nwa guy I was rooting for them to, you know, do really well. And that was the same day as a WrestleMania and I didn't get to go. They were doing like closed circuit. Then I don't think we had pay-per-view at our house yet, but anyway, I couldn't watch WrestleMania, but the clash was on and I was like, well, this is actually better because I want to see Ricky steamboat. And I thought for sure he was going to lose. I thought, 100% this is the night where Claire wins his title back because that's that's what happens. And so when he actually won the match after, you know, a classic, probably at that time I thought it was the greatest match I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, so it's the it's the match itself, but it's also seeing those two guys, but it's also, you know, doing everything they could do. There's a showcase for everything they could do together. But then also the memory of like, oh, I, you know, my favorite guy came through and he actually won when I thought he wasn't going to. Uh, so that's probably my all-time favorite. Any others up there on on that list? You know, I love. There's like little random ones. Um, the there's that Shingo, Will Osprey that was the best of Super Juniors final that I think was match of the year, one year. That's just I've, I could watch that over and over again because it's just a, you know, a masterwork of the craft. Um, any of those dynamite kid tiger mask matches uh the flare funk i quit match is just like the perfect ending to a feud i can't think of an end to a feud that was any better than that um you know i i love there's like random ones like i love the old diy um revival tag matches there's several takeover matches that are just i could go back and watch them again and again yeah that was that that was that time in like 2016 2017 where i mean takeovers are still good now but i mean that yeah. was really the peak i i thought and the, and the tag matches were for me the highlight with, with diy yeah. and the revival when you when you had american alpha who, exactly, were, yeah. who were a great team as well and, and and yeah i mean that that was really the the golden period yeah. of, of of nxt and it's 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 sad to see where it's gone now but it's still I know. It's, as you, as you said earlier, it's still a good show each week. I still find yeah. things I enjoy, but... Um... I have to say, too, I'm actually... Now that AEW is where it's at, I'm actually a little bit... I'm probably the minority in this, but I'm actually a little bit excited of NXT to get back to its roots as developmental. Yeah, because absolutely. I, because that is one of the things that I really enjoy is seeing people come into their own 
Um, and, you know, like I'm a big Zia Lee fan, not because she's great, because I like watching her get better, you know, and or like take Conti on AEW. Like I, wa- I like watching people get good. And uh, so I'm kind of excited for NXT to be a little bit different flavor than, you know, not to say there's too much good wrestling, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just kind of excited to have it be a little bit different palette different different restaurant to go to maybe it's like more of a smoothie <laughs> yeah no absolutely i i, I think it's it's a good thing that, that maybe the usa network might not feel that but i, I think it's yeah. a good thing they're going back yeah to... <laughs> yeah exactly but uh yeah I, I just don't know what that means for guys who haven't been called up to the main roster yet i mean a guy like pete right. dunn for example or yeah. you know, johnny gargano or tomaso champa what, what what do they do with those guys I know. What do you, what do you think is going to happen? I, there's there's part of me that's like, oh my gosh, are they just going to do a big purge right at the end, or are they going to have these people and say, yeah, you're just going to be here to be, you're just going to spin your wheels for the next three years in NXT? Because most of those people, I don't see them bringing them up. No, and even if they do, I mean, when was the last? I mean, we, we said this so many times on this podcast, but when was the last yeah. time anyone in NXT right. came up to the main roster and has done well? I mean, Riddle yeah. is doing well. Because yeah. Vince likes his gimmick, and you know, and, and has right, but he's not the riddle that people wanted Riddle to be, you know. Yeah, like people wanted the the killer, like the the funny guy who could who could be a killer, and right now he's just kind of the kind funny of like guy. Kurt I mean, he's still Angle. great, like Cut Angle was. Yeah, yeah, uh, but they haven't yeah, exactly. gone that route. They, they're kind of doing what Cut right. Angle was at the beginning when he first started. Maybe they'll get to the Cut yeah. Angle of like 2003 when he was when he right. was killing guys. But yeah, I mean. Yeah. Riddle is, is doing okay, but apart from him, I mean, Bianca Drew, is doing good. But I mean, I don't really count Drew that much because I don't, I don't really think of him as like an NXT guy because yeah, he was either. there on the main roster. He literally ago, was the chosen it? one. Yeah, you know that was his gimmick the first time around. Was he was the handpicked guy? But yeah, Bianca's a, Bianca's a good uh, example. But I, I mean, before her, I think you'd have to go back to. Right. I don't even know. I mean, uh, Owen yeah. Zane. <laughs> Yeah, and and kind of just barely. I mean, Owens was good, but he kind of has been on a treadmill. And, you know, it's like all these people, it's like you can say they're doing well and they're being featured and maybe they're kind of entertaining, but they're... I can't think of anyone uh, who's better. Yeah, I can't think of anyone who's really better where you'd really say, yeah, once they get here, they'll really bloom. I always keep coming back to Shinsuke Nakamura. And, and, and right. his debut on SmackDown and the reaction he got and of course his music yes. was so over and yeah. what they do like six months later he, he turns heel and they change his music right. they take away right. everything that sort of made him work and now yeah. with Karrion Cross, you know Karrion yeah. Cross coming up without Scarlet I mean that's the one I wouldn't say yeah, it's the only good it. thing about him but it's certainly not he hasn't got a lot right. going for him in my opinion if you, but, if you told me six months ago that Vince McMahon would be pursuing Adam Cole and crapping on Karrion Cross. I would have told you you were insane. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, it's it doesn't make any sense. There, somebody someday is going to do, like, some amazing psychological study on the, the mindset of Vince McMahon because it's... You're seeing some crazy psychosis being worked out, you know, <laughs> through other people's careers uh it's it doesn't make sense a lot of the time no it really doesn't um the next question the best live show that you've ever attended so what would you uh choose for that yeah 
So I was trying to think. So I, the there was the New Japan show in Dallas in 2019 that was pretty great to go see a real New Japan show that had some excellent matches on it. But if I have to say my best show I've ever attended match-wise was in 2000 in Dallas, I uh, went to Fully Loaded. And it was oh, that show. Yeah. There was, was a notable show, and it was kind of thing that kind of fits into what we're talking about of like wanting to see people like see people get better and, and thrive. That was the show where they put uh, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, and Chris Benoit in the main events against Undertaker, Triple H, and The Rock. Um, and it was a big deal. It was like, here's the next generation of stars going against the current generation of stars. And it had a really great uh, last man standing match between Chris Jericho and uh, Triple H. That's one of pro- probably the best match I've ever seen live. Um, that was really great. But <laughs> all the young guys lost. So it was kind of that mixed feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to see all my guys. You know, Kurt Angle, Jericho, Benoit, they're all in the main events. They finally get to be the stars. And then they all lost. It was, you know, it's fine. But it was an amazing show. Rikishi jumped off the top of a cage. Um, I think it was like Trish Stratus's first pay-per-view as a manager. There was like a lot of specific things I remember about that show. It was a really fun time. But then also one of my favorite memories um, was in 1997, I got to go to the Terry Funk retirement show in Amarillo that was the featured in the movie Beyond the Mat. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, where Dennis Stamps, the referee, and uh, I got to go to that show, and that was the first time I ever got to sort of peek behind the curtain because I bought tickets to the show, and then there was a meet and greet at the Double Cross Ranch, and you got to go and just hang out all afternoon with like Polly Dangerously and Tommy Dreamer and Sandman and the Young Bloods, and just got to sit and talk to Terry Funk for a while, and it was um, ridiculous to be able to do that. And that was the first time I met tape traders. That was the first time I met. Um, you know, people who are sort of, you know, in out, not, you know, business adjacent where they're kind of in the business, but not really. And I got to speak to Paul Heyman for a little bit. As, as far as an experience, that's probably my peak experience as a, as a fan. So do you get to talk to Paul D for long or? I talked to him for about five minutes in a hotel lobby. Um, I told him I had had a few drinks, so I talked to him. I told him that I had had a magazine when he was a magazine editor and I had this magazine that was um, the, he, he had written a column where he said, I'm, I'm quitting to be the, I'm quitting as the editor of this magazine to pursue my dream of being a wrestling manager. And I was like, I wish I had that magazine here to sign it, you know? And he was like, well, if you'd had it, I would have signed it, you know? And that's it. Um, so it was, you know, it was kind of fun. He was very gracious. He's one of the most compelling guys, I think, to listen to. I mean, he's he's really. Oh yeah. I mean, he's got such a great mind. Yeah. I mean, not so much. He's not so good with money, but in terms of um, right, know, yeah. using his creativity, he's, I mean, he's. I mean, he's one of the best. And and, and I mean, it's yeah. really a shame when you look at the guys that he wanted to elevate in WWE. Mm-hmm. Alistair Black, Andrade. I mean, yeah. most of them are not even there anymore. Right. It's, yeah. Uh, they're all in, they're all going to one place well, too. AW. Yeah, maybe Paul yeah. will end up there one day. We can, we, I, I think he'd be great. Maybe there was that there was that super brief rumor, but uh, you know about Brock, but that 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 got quashed pretty fast. It did, didn't it? I didn't hear any more about that. But uh, yeah, I think um, what Paul's doing now with Roman is is probably. I mean, it probably is the highlight of WWE right now. So oh, absolutely. I do tune in if 
if I hear like I tuned in last Friday to watch Roman and uh, Cena, and I was like, oh, this is this is the stuff I really liked in the past. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. Paul yeah, is great. one. Paul is one guy I will seek out. If I, if I hear Paul Heyman's doing something, mm-hmm. I've, I've got to see what it is yeah. because I mean he's so, so he's so good. He's one of the, such a good storyteller. Even if it's whether it's through a show or just telling a story in an interview, like he's just a really compelling storyteller. The final question, which yeah. is really, I say it every week, I think, but it's what it's probably the hardest one to answer because there's so many angles you can go at it with, and it's if you could change one thing about the business what would it be so is there one particular thing that you you if you had a magic wand you could change one thing about wrestling uh what i would say i don't know if it's actually about the business itself but the whatever it is that makes people think that because you like one show you have to hate another and so this idea that you know i know that WWE and AEW, you know, WWE sees AEW as a competitor, even if they don't admit it. And, you know, but it's like these two things can coexist and both thrive. And they don't, you know, I think Dave Meltzer once said that, like, whenever there's a wrestling war, it's always good for the business short term, but in the long term, there's always a winner and there's always a loser. Right. And I would love for these people to just say, like, we can coexist and. Uh, we can all win, you know, it's fine to have competition and things like that. But, you know, I don't know if there's a really way to solve that. But, um, you know, I I would love for them just to be in competition and not feel this need to, you know, maybe it's all one sided, but uh, to especially with the fans, the Twitter thing of just people arguing over ratings and stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. Um Yeah. And I would love to have like a sports based, like a mainstream sports based you know, like, uh, what's the show and uh, what's the promotion in Ireland? OTT. Yeah, yeah. Uh, their stuff. I would love to see that on a big stage. And I think NXT came close to doing that, or or could do that, but I don't think they will now. But you know, I always had a fantasy of like Ring of Honor or someone like that doing a real sports-based documentary style, like almost UFC type, you know, thing. I don't think it'd do well in the ratings or make a lot of money, but I'd sure love it. Yeah, I, I think that um, that there's room for all kinds of there's, there's room for everyone. There's room for WWE, yeah. AEW, obviously Impact's still around, yep. um, mm-hmm. Ring of Honor. There, there's so many promotions, and it, it's a really exciting time in the business because it was really bleak. Yeah, back in like 2001, you know, when, when WCW mm-hmm. went out of business and ECW went out of business and. WWE had such a monopoly on the business for for mm-hmm. so long, and and it you know you have these startup companies like the one, what was it called the WWA I think it was called was it which oh uh huh yeah or XPW was that another one that there was, yeah, like was these, another one there was yeah. all these startup promotions that just I mean the, the one that Hogan was involved with which um, oh that's right what was that was that was that WWE or was yeah. it something else where they had um, Tony Schiavone no, I think it was something and, else. Tony Schiavone and Jerry Lawler were doing commentary yep. because Jerry Lawler had just been let go or, right. or quit over um, Miss Kitty getting yeah, fired. Miss Kitty, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it was called now. Uh, XWF. Yes. XWF. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. You had all these, yeah, all these little startup promotions. Then, of course, TNA was the mm-hmm. closest 
that anyone's sort of come to competing with them. I mean, they got like two mm-hmm. million viewers, didn't they? Which right is unheard of now. But um, yeah, I know. Imagine, and then but but they still were always just trying to like recreate what WWE was versus finding their own voice. Well, there was that time, wasn't there, where they could have got Paul E. Yeah, they they, yep. they were talking with Paul E about coming in. But Dixie, I mean, I think Paul Lee famously said that Dixie didn't want to sort of let go of the legend. She didn't want to lose Kevin Nash and, and Scott Steiner right. and all these guys. And that that's really what really hurt TNA in the long run. And, and also, yeah. did you hear the story about Daniel Bryan nearly coming into TNA? Was that part of the Pauly thing where he was going to bring him in and center it around him? Yeah, because that was when he got fired over the whole tie. Um, That's right. Tie thing with um, what's his name, the uh, yeah. ring announcer Justin, Justin Roberts. Justin Roberts. Yeah. It was Justin Roberts here from AEW. Yeah. They, you know what they should do? <laughs> I don't know if they should do this actually, but you know that if if when Daniel Bryan comes in, they're going to have to do something to reference that tie incident. Oh, they got to, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. And where do you stand on the music? Would you would you rather see them use different music? Obviously, he can't use the same. Daniel Bryan can't use the same yeah. theme he had in WWE, but he he could use because, of course, that theme is based on the the was it the the ride of the Valkyries? Well, ride of ride of the Valkyrie. Yeah, they I could, would use Final Countdown. Yeah, I I think they've really conditioned the fans to see the music as a big part of the show and see themselves getting into the music as part of the show. So I think more of that, uh, you know, I really hope punk, I hope they license cult of personality for him. So you, would, you hope... would, you would bring punk in and use cult of personality. Then, oh, yeah. I would absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, and with Daniel Bryan, have... I think, yeah, he yeah, used I, it in I, UFC, I would... didn't he? When for his couple of fights, yeah, in he UFC. did. So, yeah. And back did. in ring of honor, back in the day as well, he had that as his, it's kind of always, he's kind of always yeah. had that. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I think, um, I wouldn't want to see, Brian Danielson use some sort of variation of, of, of that. I think you've got to... I think Final Countdown's probably the way to go because if you look at, obviously, Tarzan Boy with, with Jungle right. Boy and they're using Wild Thing now with, with Moxley and, and the one that Orange Cassidy has as well. I can't yeah, remember what it's called now. but Yeah, it's called Where's My Mind. Where's My Mind, that's it, yeah. So, um, obviously, uh, Tony is quite happy to, to pay for yeah. his music, so... Because when yeah. Paul E was doing it, I mean, obviously he didn't pay for any of it. He just used right. it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's such a huge thing. I mean, you know, I got to go to an ADW taping five or six weeks ago, and um, that really was one of the most fun elements of the show was when they played Wild Thing or when they played Judas. You know, it was um, it was just really – it really helps the crowd get into it. And I think when the crowd gets into that – they're kind of loosened up to get into the match more, you know? Yeah. And I, one of the things that's the difference between going to an AEW show and WWE show where they're taping for TV is when you go, well, I feel this way anyway, when I've gone to WWE tapings like a raw or SmackDown, I feel like I am an extra in a TV production and I'm treated that way. And when I went to that AEW show, it felt like when I was going to the shows with my dad as a kid, like it was a show for the, for the people in the seats. And that's like a big difference to me. So which show was this? You, this was like two, three weeks ago. You went to. Um... It was it was Dynamite. It was the one in Dallas where uh, Archer and Moxley have the Texas Death oh, Match. Oh yeah, great match. Yeah, it was it was fun. I think uh, obviously now Archer's lost 
the uh, mm-hmm. title to uh, Tanahashi, and I'm looking really forward to seeing Tanahashi and Moxley. Uh, but do you think Archer got the win just to give him a big win? Because he hasn't really had a big win on on like that, has he? I mean, they've they've really yeah. every sort of big match he's had, he hasn't won. So I think he kind of needed that win. I do too. I feel like he he kind of gets. I mean, you know, I don't think he gets treated badly, but he is kind of that guy that's like kind of like a Nyla Rose in that they're not, not to compare them as performers. Well, but... I mean, Brody Lee, the, the late great Brody Lee, yeah. when he was there, I mean, he, he obviously did beat Cody, but he lost to him right. as well. And obviously he lost right. to Moxley. I mean, wasn't right. Moxley like his first big match in the company for the title? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, it was. And, and it is kind of that thing of like, we need you to be the big impressive guy, but we don't need you to really win anything. And so he kind of got stuck there in limbo so I'm really glad that they actually did give him a big win because it was helpful to him. I'm sure it was kind of. I'm sure the reason for it was probably had something to do with setting up matches for New Japan or, or you know. But it really was great. And in that night, it was amazing because one of the things that do well that we just saw with Britt in Pittsburgh is when you came into the arena before the show started, they were playing videos, you know, to the audience coming in to be seated with. Uh, Lance Archer telling his story about being a guy from Texas and growing up in the, you know, working in the business and I've been around the world and all this stuff. And now I'm going to come home and I'm going to win this title here in Texas. And so that was something not for TV. I mean, they might've shown on online or in a bumper or something, but like it was a video that was clearly made for the room where they were priming the people to be like, this is your guy. And, and so when he came out, it was like, I mean, you never thought people would boo John Moxley, but like they were, definitely wanting archer to to beat him that night just one final question yeah um which i would like to sort of put to you if if hangman isn't the guy to beat kenny mm-hmm. who is because mm. I, I really don't know i mean would it would it be danielson a punk or someone like that or I you know, I wouldn't do either of them for a long time because I really think it's really important for them to have a non-WWE, um, at least a you know a person who has some separation from it. I, what I would do is keep the title of Omega for another year. Um, or I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I you know I might give like Eddie Kingston like a very quick win or something like that. You know, right. yeah, but. To me, if you're not going to put it on page, you need to do the Okada run where it's just Omega being the best in history and beating everybody. And then maybe you could get Danielson or Punk or someone. But I feel like if it's too soon, it's going to, it's good. It wouldn't really be the TNA thing, but it would, it might give that impression to people. Well, could he do like a CM Punk when, when CM Punk had that long reign as champion? Yeah, he turned. I think he turned sort of heel halfway through. Could Kenny turn yeah. face at some point and lose it to MJF? Would MJF? Ooh, there's would MJF, an idea. Would MJF be a good guy to go to next? I think he totally could because I do think Kenny. Um, I think Kenny has to try really hard. He's 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 very easy for him to be heel, but it's very hard for him to not be popular. If that makes any sense. Right. So I think the longer he has amazing matches and is the champion, the harder it is for him to have to keep up the heel shtick. Um, that's kind of what happened in New Japan. You know, ultimately the people just got behind him because they're like he's the best in the world. We wanted to see see him beat Okada. And um 
I think if he were to have a long reign, eventually he would have to be a babyface. Um, and MGF would be an awesome person to have him beat. I think MGF. Yeah, because he's been protected. He, I mean, yeah, he really has. Apart from losing to Moxley when he had that title match with him, um, when the paradigm shift was was banned or whatever, and he still right. used it and got the win. Um, I don't think he's lost a match, has he? In in that time, I don't. I don't think he has. I mean. And I yeah, think I as we record this, obviously he's going to face Jericho tomorrow night. I expect him to beat right. Jericho. I do too. I expect him to win Jericho and leapfrog up to something else. I could see him. You know what I could see is Danielson coming in and MJF, them pairing off right away. Uh, because I think I think there's a dynamic that could happen there that was a little bit of the magic they had with Miz. Right. But ex- but except MJF could go. <laughs> so I think I think they would have a lot of the same interactions but um but have some killer matches too. And I think it'd be the right person for MGF because the thing that MGF needs to put him over the top is to to really be able to carry a match. And you know, he's really good right now, but you know, he hasn't had that classic yet. No, I mean his match with Sammy was 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 oh, really yeah. really good. I think Sammy's another one that I mean I mean, could he be the guy to beat Kenny? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't see I don't him. know. I could see him beating Miro. See, I think Jungle um, Boy would be a good choice to beat Miro because Jungle Boy needs too. that big win at some point. And obviously, he wasn't going to beat Kenny. But mm-hmm. uh, if I could see him beat Miro. Mm-hmm. But how, how awesome is it, though, to be able to sit there and talk for however long we've been talking about the subject of all the different options you could have you know, like what what a good job they've done of being able to say, yeah, you could go three or four different ways and they all are potentially very good. You know, that like, says a lot about yeah. where they are as a company. Because, I mean, you could have, I mean, you could even go back to Park. I mean, obviously, oh yeah, it was a freeway with, with Orange Cassidy. So, you, I mean, they haven't done a singles match mm-hmm. with Omega and Park for the title. So that's another that's another way you could go with it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the options are endless. And, but I I just don't, I do worry about Kenny's, you know, well-being and how yeah, much longer he can actually go because, I mean, the mm-hmm. injuries are piling up and, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he can only go so long. And, and I think that uh, mm-hmm. I'd rather him take some time off and we have mm-hmm. months without Kenny Omega rather than him getting to the point where he can't go. Yeah, absolutely. I would, you know... It would be a big tragedy if we never got the Kenny Omega Kota Ibushi match that you know both of them have in their head. I think with like with, there's with, a mat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, to come back, you know, kind of full circle with with, with Ricky mm-hmm. Steamboat. I mean, I've used, I've sort of compared Omega Okada to like a modern day Steamboat Flair. I mean, their their series of matches, yeah. I would say, mm-hmm. I mean, they're very different. To, to Flair mm-hmm. Steamboat, but they're, they're just. I can't think of another. Maybe there is, but I can't think of another two guys who have had three or four matches of that caliber. Me either. I can't, yeah. Especially that where it where it also has a like a, a saga to it, like a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know, and, and where the storyline is really, you know, who is the best in the world? It's like, and, and also the fact that it's like these two people have pretty much equal claim to say they're the best in the world. And because they're challenging each other, they're both getting better. 
that's you know you'd you'd see like the it's like the you know Ric Flair the evil heel, but then the matches with Steve were so good he had to turn babyface, you know, because it just brought out the best in yeah. him, you know, and. It, 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 in my mind, you know, I don't think they ever really intended this in the storyline, but it was kind of like in my mind, the story I would tell of 89 with Flair was Steamboat was so good that he reminded Flair what he loved about wrestling. And, you know, he came out of that feud different than he went into it. Um, and that prepared him for the funk, you know, thing where he had to get through that and everything. And so I feel like the, it's the same with Okada and Omega where it's like, you know, Omega turned babyface because he had to he had to rediscover his love for the craft to be able to beat him. And it pushed both of them to be better. And, you know, that's the kind of storytelling that like probably most people that watch wrestling don't get into or why they watch it and stuff. But, you know, that's one of the things I love when it's at its best. It's some of the best storytelling in the world in any genre. Kevin, we could, we could talk. We, we, we definitely could talk all night. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we really could. And it's been a great, uh, it's been a great, uh, I've really enjoyed uh, sitting down and talking with you. I mean, the yeah, whole really idea behind this podcast was obviously we all have so much fun in the Facebook group um, mm-hmm. and we get on for the most part, <laughs> you know, all, yeah. <laughs> all the time. I mean, it always uh, ends well. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 even when we fall out, I mean, it's, it's always um, resolved very, very quickly. No one's, yeah. you know, stays mad at anyone for any great period of time. But yeah, I, I, it's been great to sort of get all these guys on because I mean we're up to, I'm up to over 30 podcasts now of just yeah. guys from that Facebook group I mean it's such a great group and and I've had bad experiences as I'm sure you have with internet forums before oh, absolutely especially yeah. wrestling ones because yeah it brings mm-hmm. out the the worst in people I think sometimes <laughs> right. but um yeah this group yeah. is just I mean Garrett has done a great job and 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 yeah there's some great Absolutely. folks there, isn't there? I made some. There really real, is. I made some real friends. I really enjoy. Yeah, I, I'm always interested in what people think. There's such a diverse set of experiences and opinions and experience. You know, I. And for me, like I said, you know, we talked a little bit before taping that you know I don't write for a website. I don't do a wrestling podcast. You know, any of that stuff. I'm just a guy who watches everywhere. But I never get treated differently. There are people who have booked promotions. There's people who are behind the scenes. You know, there's people that you know, are currently working on, on product that, but, you know, but interact with us as, you know, equal peers and, and equally valid opinions. And so I just really appreciate that. And I, and I appreciate the work you're doing to keep it going and encourage people and, you know, um, with your DJ sets and, um, and just keeping the discussion going. And in this show, I've really enjoyed listening and, and getting to know people, even though I don't get to talk to them. Um, you know, getting to know people through your conversations. Well, I've always said that this podcast will only have a relatively short shelf life because I run out of, of guests at some point, but that's not proven to be the case. I mean, there, there's so <laughs> many, I mean, there's over 200 folks in the, in the uh, Facebook yeah. group, I think. And, and I mean, there's, there's new people popping up all the time and, and um, yeah, I, I don't think I am going to run out of guests at this, at, at this point. Yeah. Keep it going. I hope you stay at it. I certainly will. And um, I certainly want to do more podcasts in the future. I'd love to have you back at some point. I would love it. This was a real pleasure. No, I, I really, really enjoyed it. So thank you to, uh, to Kevin Eli. I'm David Lovell signing off. And thank you for listening to another episode 
of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast.